Sometimes there'll be two. If you hear a verse that says, the people were astonished and amazed, that's Luke. That's his language. That's how we talk. Okay, what does that mean? See, that's an interesting fact, but what does that mean? Well, what it means is, we know, G, uh, we know Luke wasn't an eyewitness, that he talked to eyewitnesses 30 years later after you know the, the event. And uh, so what that means is the people he's talking to consistently are still astonished by what they saw when they heard, heard saw and heard Jesus. It's watering time, everybody! It's time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. It's time for another one of our... Deep Conversations. A deep conversation with musician, author, and Bible teacher, Michael Card. Michael is a well-known musician, having recorded over 38 albums starting all the way back in 1981. He's also an author, having written over, get this, 28 books. Now, I don't think many people realize how many books he's written. And he's also, though, written for a wide range of magazines. He hosts a weekly podcast called In the Studio with Michael Card, and he has penned such hits that many of us know, such as El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyon, O Adonai. I never know if I get all the words right. But El Shaddai, Love Crucified Rose, and Emmanuel. The popularity of his work seemed to stark contrast, though, to this, his goal in life, which is this, to simply and quietly teach the Bible. I had no idea before I met Mike how much of a Bible teacher he is. And really, it's about his music because he started off studying and doing extensive research as he is creating the lyrics to his songs. And he was having a hard time trying to squeeze all of what he was finding in his research into a three-minute song. So he then began to write articles and books on topics that captured his imagination through conversations with Bible teachers, friends, and contemporaries in both Christian music and in the academic community. And now he continues to write even to this day. Michael lives in Franklin, Tennessee, where, with a group of close friends, he pursues racial reconciliation and neighborhood renewal, and is currently writing on the details of the life of Jesus. He and his wife, Susan, have four children and two grandchildren. Michael travels frequently each year, teaching and sharing his music at Biblical Imagination Conferences, and so facilitates annual Life of Christ tours to Israel. And now... In the highlight of his life, he is now on Apollos Watered. And we discussed this question. Why are there four distinct Gospels? We have several of Paul's letters and John's letters. We have the book of Revelation. We have all of these books. But when it comes to the story of Jesus, we have four distinct books. Why? Why not just one? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Happy listening. Mike Card, welcome to Apollos Watered. Uh, good morning, Travis. How you doing? <laughs> doing really good. Where are you at right now? Huh? I'm home. You're home. And that is in Franklin, Tennessee. 
Well, it's actually Fernvale, Tennessee, which is uh, even farther out. Wow. Okay, yeah. good. Good. All right. Well, we have, first of all, to get to know you a little bit more, which a lot of people know a lot about you. You've been in the music industry for some time, written several different books, but right. let's probe a little bit deeper. Are you ready for the Fast Five? Uh, I think so. I, 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 we'll, we'll see. I'm, we won't know until it's too late. So go ahead. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Now, you are in farm country right now. Yes. That a lot of people don't know. So here we go. I.H. or John Deere? Uh, uh, Kubota. Sorry, buddy. Kubota. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Which yeah. is what color? Huh? What color is that? They're, they're orange, but they're actually made in Gainesville, Georgia. Okay. Interesting. So, the tractor we have is a Kubota, and it's, it's the Rolls Royce of tractors. Rolls Royce yeah. of tractors. It's a great, it's a great tractor. 3901. That's a, that's the model you want. 3901. You know, my father actually was a tractor puller. Oh, wow. Back wow. in the day. Yeah. Back well, in the day. It so costs more than my car. I'll just say <laughs> that. Well, I, I always laugh when people think about that for farmers, because I mean, a combine is like hundreds, oh. you know, it's so much oh, yeah. money. Yeah. They're, farmers are the are the first people to hurt when the economy gets bad, and they're the last people to recover. Yeah, and so we, we should be supporting farmers much much more than we do. Amen and amen to that. Okay, so Kubota, so you totally took me off on that one. All yeah. right, now we know that you are a Bible teacher, but here we go: Old Testament or New Testament? Uh, New Testament Gospels. Really? Yeah, but you can't understand the Gospels unless you understand the Old Testament. It's hard to just say you know, one or the other, but I spend most of my time now in the gospels. That's pretty encouraging, but yeah. it was almost a Jesus answer where you're like, well, the new Testament, but we need the old Testament. <laughs> well, when, when John the Baptist is behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, if you hadn't read Exodus, you have no idea what he's talking about. So totally agree on that. You know, they're just too, they're too uh, integrated. They're too woven together. Okay, here we go. Yeah, I agree. But let's let's get back to our questions because I want to I want to pause on that and come back right. to it because I know you have so much to say on that. Right. But uh, what I mean, you traveled a lot of places. You've met a lot of people. Mm -hmm. What is this weirdest food you have ever eaten? I ate a scorpion in China one time. I think that's about as weird as it gets. Was it cooked? Please tell me it was. It cooked. was in deep, deep fat fried. Tastes like potato chips. Really? Yeah, but I just did that. It was all based on a dare. You know, food that's based <laughs> on a dare. And then I've eaten, I ate pig knuckles in uh, Korea one time. That was pretty gross. So, but scorpion, I think scorpion, it's hard to top a scorpion. Uh, I had uh, Scott Moreau, who's the uh, uh, academic dean at Wheaton Graduate School, and I asked him that question, and he said, fermented mare's milk. Ooh, and, I was, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then uh, Nick Ripkin mentioned that he ate flies off the front of a car. <laughs> I was like, all right. Well, uh, was he sober when he did that? That sounds like something <laughs> to do. <laughs> um, all right. Now, here, here's another one. You've already talked about this a bit, but just stay with me because uh, you're talking about a tractor, but I want to bring this back. If you were a mode of transportation, what mode of transportation would mm -hmm. you be and why? I know it's a weird question, but just go with it. No, I'd, I'd be a Ducati motorcycle. Really? Why? Yeah. Well, I, I I rode motorcycles for a long time, and and uh, I just think it's a it's a it's like a rocket, and it's like a spaceship, and, and it, but it's also a motorcycle. It gets you know sixty miles a gallon. Uh, they're cool. They're practical. 
it's just all those things wrapped together. Uh, my, my, my wife sort of said, okay, when I turned 60, you said, you're now you're too old for that. So, you know, <laughs> on advice of counsel, I got rid of my Ducati, but I sure do miss it. I, I had no idea that you were a motorcycle guy. I was, I was. Now I'm okay. just an old man who drives tractors and, and uh, grows flowers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you said you've been in China, Korea. Uh, what is the strangest or funniest cross-cultural experience you've had? Oh, gosh. It doesn't have to be overseas either. Oh, I, you know, I, that's a hard one. I, I think the, the weirdest thing I remember, I was in, I think I was in Korea, and a woman was trying to speak to me in English, but it came out really inappropriately what she said so inappropriate that I can't even tell you what it was but I knew that she didn't mean that you know it was those kind of things <laughs> a couple of words that she, she that was that was the weirdest thing you know to, to, the sweet Christian lady to say these things to me and I'm kind of <laughs> yeah. that's funny that, that was pretty that was pretty weird that was pretty, <laughs> pretty weird <laughs> uh, there's a, a website. My brother-in-law um, was an ESL teacher for many, many years. And he told us about a website called English. Oh, cool. Well, I was with, I was in e with ELIC English language Institute in China. I was okay. with them when it happened. Yeah. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. okay. Well, I mean, but in this website called English.com, it's yeah. all these funny translation things and photos yeah. and, it it's rude. Oh, it's so funny. If you want to laugh, go to that English.com. Okay. Now we know that you are a Bible teacher. You are a thinker with the soul of a poet. You've written songs that have been both popular in a moment and have endured. I mean, written articles and books and through it all, you've not chased trends. That's one of the things that I've really admired about you through the years, but it seems that you've always sought to help people think deeply and reflect on the depth of the depths of who God is and what he has done for us. And what was it that formed your approach to really thinking and writing as a Christian? Well, I, I, that's, that's the easiest answer. I, I am the product. Uh, I mean, as much, as much as one person can owe another person, I owe uh, William Lane, Dr. William Lane. Mm -hmm. he, he, uh, uh, I did undergraduate and graduate work with him. He, um, he discipled me for about 26 years. Mm. Uh, he um, he talked my wife into marrying me. She didn't want to. He talked her into it, and then he married us. Uh, and I was That's holding a good his hand. Yeah, I was holding his hand when he died. Oh. Yeah. So Bill. Yeah, Bill. Uh, my my wife is named Susan, and Bill. Uh, this is it. You know, she was the she was just graduating from nursing school, and I was finishing my master's, and uh, and uh, had been just sort of. Uh, dogging her for six years and she wouldn't have anything to do with me and um bill corners her and says you know mike mike uh, really loves you and she says well i just don't love him you know and this this is how he got he turned her around he said uh well susan of all the men you've known who have you trusted and she said i think i've tried i trust mike and he said, this is the line that got me with my wife. He said, Susan, it's more important to say I trust you than to say I love you. And that's mm -hmm. her mind started 
changing. I mean, didn't get her, you know, she didn't, you know, repent right away and come over <laughs> to the Holy Land, but uh, she eventually did. And yeah, so that was Bill Lane, uh, PhD, Harvard. He wrote the New International Commentary to Mark and the two volume word biblical commentary to Hebrews. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. Wow. But he's the reason. I, I I would I would have never written music if it wasn't for Bill. I went I went to the church, which was a biracial church that he gave leadership to. So he got me into reconciliation. Um, one day he said, "You play the guitar, don't you, Mr. Card?" And I said, "Well, yeah, but that's really for attracting girls at the student center. That's what guitars are for." And he said, uh, "Well, here's my sermon for next week. Write us a chorus." And it was John 21, Second Miraculous Catch a Fish. And so Stranger on the Shore was the first song I think I ever wrote for Bill. And I would play them and he would do a sermon. We did that for six years. How so old were you? It's all Bill Lane. But how, how old were you when he did that for you? About 19. Wow. Yeah. What, yeah what I, got had... picture, I got a picture of him here someplace. I, I can show you. Well, I can't find it. Yeah. <laughs> where? What were your plans before that? I mean, have you thought what you were going to do? Yeah, I was that? in forestry. I was a forestry major. And my one criterion was that a, a job not involved people. I wanted to do bird counts for the forestry service. Really? So that was my major. Yeah, I'd grown up in e, uh, going to East Tennessee and staying in the Smokies in the summer and hiking. That was, that was my world. And I had to take a humanities class. And I was a Christian. I was a, I was a Jesus freak, but I was a kind of a, a loner, you know, a loner Jesus freak that didn't want to have anything to do with people. And I, I, I took his class in New Testament. And as a conservative, I grew up Southern Baptist, very conservative. Both my grandfathers were Baptist preachers. Um, I took this class and I was taught that people like Bill were the enemy. A Harvard PhD in New Testament, you know, he's going to tear the New you know, Testament, tear your faith apart and leave you there to, you know, put it back together again. And so he walks into this classroom in this secular Western Kentucky University secular school and he sits on the corner of his desk and he said uh, my name is William Lane and all you need to know about me is I'm a man under the authority of God's word hmm. and my mouth fell open and I said I want to be that guy and so I took every class for six years I took every class that he he offered and we became very close friends like I said he he um he had pancreatic cancer. You mentioned earlier someone who had it. Mm -hmm. And he called me from Seattle where he was living. And he said, uh, he said, they've given me six months to live. I don't want to die here. I have no collegiality. He said, can I come to Franklin and show you how a Christian man dies? So he moved here and he lived 18 months. Uh, but I was holding his hand when he died. So as much as one person can owe another person, I owe William Lane. There, there, there was another man that you mentioned in your podcast recently who also died of pancreatic cancer. And there, he said that because you said I would take it from you. Oh, that goes, was, yeah, that's Denny Denson. Denny uh, is one of the church. When you talk about uh, the reconciliation movement here in Franklin, Denny was really the leader. Denny had been a Black Panther and very sort of angry. And he hated white people. He still, I think, struggled with like. <laughs> <laughs> like some some of us um but uh yeah denny was when i was in our group and had you know just he was my best friend uh and yeah and so denny's laying in bed dying of pancreatic cancer and i'm 
like, brother, you know, I'm crying. Brother, I, I would take this. If there's any way I could take this from you, I would take this from you. And then he looks at me and goes, you couldn't handle this. <laughs> <laughs> and he's probably true. I mean, he's probably right. But Denny, Denny did a boy. He was something else. He was something else. Yeah. Mm. He said, Jesus said, taken off the garment of violence and clothed them with the garment of grace. Uh, but he was the guy you wanted on your side. Boy, he was a great man. Mm. Denny Denson. Oh, he's, he's a cool guy. A cool Denny Denson story. Everybody knew Denny as R.L. Denson. Okay. Mm. R.L. Denson. So I'm at his house one day and we're just hanging out and, uh, he, he had been in Vietnam and he, he, he showed me his honorable discharge papers. And there was the name Rufus Levon Benson. So I found out what RL stood for. And as soon as I saw that and smiled, he knew, you know, Ruf. So I started calling him Ruf and he did not like that. I mean, you know, he would say, I will never stop killing you. <laughs> RL Benson. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about <coughs> racial reconciliation because you have that on your website. That's something that's near and dear to your heart. Describe that process of how you got involved in that. And what is that neighborhood renewal that you've been talking about and okay. you've laid out on your website? Well, I, I grew first place. I grew up in, in, you know, the sixties and seventies in Nashville. Um, I can remember barely white only drinking fountains downtown Nashville. I can remember going to the movies. Uh, my grandfather, who was a pastor, was a, a fought for rec uh, reconciliation. He integrated his church in the 1930s. Mm. So I kind of come from a line of reconcilers. My mother, uh, his, who was his daughter, uh, just raised me. You know, she, she, uh, she hammered that. My father, on the other hand, was a person who who struggled, who struggled with prejudice. So I grew up in this weird, you mm. know, weird world. Um, so then I met Bill and, uh, again, I was sort of, I was prepped <laughs> to enter that world with him. He was giving leadership to uh, a, a black church, um, in, uh, Cecilia Memorial Presbyterian church in Bowling Green, Kentucky, a church that was, had been built by slaves after the civil war. Bill was given leadership there, 25 elderly members. And then once Bill started, all these, all of his grad students started coming. So I was there for six years. And a lot of the people who, besides Bill, who encouraged me in terms of songwriting and it had input on my songs were elderly members from that community. Hmm. So, um, and then my, lo and behold, my best friend is a guy named Scott Rowley. And Scott is a person who started the Franklin table and, and works for reconciliation and neighborhood renewal. He's the guy that got me in neighborhood renewal. Basically, I have just sort of followed people's, held people's coattails. I sort of followed Bill and what he was doing. And then I followed Scott and what he was doing and always kind of try, tried to make myself available. And for me, what, and I got this from Denny, you know, cause you know, I'd ask Denny, okay, you tell me what to do. And Denny would say, open the door of your life to someone who's not like you. Mm. How about that? Right. It's not complicated. Mm -mm. And so, uh, and basically, you know, I just try to build relationships. And, uh, I ha I've always experienced more grace coming from towards me 
than from me. And I have, you know, several friends that would do anything for me. And uh, so that's what it looks like. Me. Which is a phenomenal, really a phenomenal thing. And it's encouraging to hear that because a lot of people, when they just think of musicians, they don't think of all the different things that they're involved in in their lives. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that you've really gone out of your way to do and show is that in many ways, you've been more of a Bible teacher. And that is what what your music has has come out of that in many ways, or the other way around. What are the, what's the project that you're working on now? Because you just released a new book, the Nazarene 40 devotions on the lyrical life of Jesus, but you're mm-hmm. always working on a project is, mm-hmm. have you moved on from that already? Or, or what is that book about? Yeah, no, that, well, that, that I'd written four albums on the gospels and basically the Nazarene is essays on each one of those songs. So um, it, it, it goes with the last four CDs and, uh, after that, I wrote one more CD on um, the Hebrew word Hesed. I wrote a book on Hesed, mm-hmm. and um, that's going to be my last CD unless God audibly gives starts giving me songs again. I think that uh, it's been a long season. I've written 450 songs. I think that's kind of enough. Mm-hmm. And so, what I'm focusing on for the rest for the rest of the time that God gives me is. Um, Life, the, the details of the life of Jesus. Uh, I was in Jerusalem um, last year and two years ago, and there's a rabbi there that I've gotten to be pretty good friends with. And I'm uh, I'm talking, I'm trying to impress him with my knowledge of Judaism, which is kind of a stupid thing to do to a rabbi. But <laughs> I do lots of I do lots of stupid things. Um, and so anyway, um, Moshe is his name. And I'm saying, I'm saying, you know, well, you know, the fest, the, the 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 pilgrimage feast. There's three feasts in Judaism that you're supposed to go to Jer- Jerusalem to celebrate at one point in your life. And uh, I said, you know, that Jesus, uh, even though he lived in Galilee for the most part, he 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 went to those three feasts, as far as we know. That's a hundred miles. Mm-hmm. And this this uh, and you know, I'm just trying to impress him. And uh, and his rabbi says, uh, yeah, but what does that mean? I said, what do, you, what do you mean? What does it mean that he did that? I said, I don't know. You tell me. And he said, well, it, it means that Jesus spends three months out of every year walking back and forth to Jerusalem. And that completely blew my mind. And so I sort of, this man taught me the principle that there, you, you know facts, but then you have to learn to ask what the facts mean. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm in the process now, and I can show you, I mean, I've got three notebooks this size, Life of Jesus articles. Wow. Okay. And uh, over next to um, my desk are about 50 books on the life of Jesus. I'm going through every detail of his life and going through this process of what does it mean? What does it mean that Judas kissed Jesus? Mm-hmm. I mean, other than the fact that Judas is a bad guy, it means that G- Jesus is unrecognizable and he has to be pointed out. He looks just like the rest of them. He's scruffy looking. Mm-hmm. One, one of the most ancient descriptions we have of Jesus, uh, he's described as looking scruffy, which I kind of like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he looks like everyone else. Um, you know, just, so that's what I'm doing now. And uh, I'm really excited about this book. I just, I just started the introduction a couple of days ago. And the introduction is about the fact that we know Jesus in a way that we know no other person. I mean, think about mm-hmm. that. Historically, yeah. Right. 
uh, we know him historically, but we also know if, if you know him spiritually, you know, he has, you have his, pre, his spirit living in you. And then just this morning, I realized, well, guess what? Jesus knows me in a way that no one else knows me. So, you know, this is the, the wheels are turning, but to this, the, the, the details of his life, uh, I've just read tons and tons of details about the, the Galilean, the, the Galilean Judaism of Jesus, which is so different than Judean Judaism and how much friction you see. It's, it's, you see it in the gospels, how much friction you see between the people who come up from Judea usually to investigate what he's doing. And then the, the Galilean Jewishness, uh, what that, what that meant sort of, um, very looked down upon by the people from the South, the Judeans. So, um, yeah, what would be a modern equivalent, like a modern American equivalent? Well, I, for me as a Southerner, it's the difference between the, you know, living in the South and living in the North. It's not as bad as it used to be, but there's this, there's this perception that Southerners are just sort of second-class citizens and not too bright. We have a recognizable mm-hmm. accent. Jesus speaks with a recognizable accent that makes him sound uneducated. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see that later on in Acts with Peter, you know, they, when, when he's being investigated right. by the Sanhedrin, they say, well, we can tell you from Galilee, there are certain syllables that Jesus can't pronounce. Uh, you know, the, the Hebrew letter Shin, right? There's a, if there, if there's a dot over it, it's shuh. And if there's not a dot, it's suh. Well, Jesus doesn't differentiate between those two things when he, when he says word that has that letter in it. That's the only concrete one I can find yet. I've, I've done a lot of work on that to see just exactly what his accent is like, but his, uh, he has a Galilean accent. Galilean Judaism is looked upon as being lax by the people in the, in the, in the, in the South um, Galileans in general, some people think that most, most of the occurrences of the word Galilean in the new Testament should be translated rebel. It really means rebel. It doesn't mean it's not a reference. I don't, I don't totally agree with this, but it's not a reference so much as a place you live or you come from as the sort of people you come from. Kind of like born on the other side of the tracks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That type yeah. of expression. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, some people would say Southern, if you're a Southerner, that means you're a rebel. That's yeah. kind of synonymous. Well, so there, it's it's it, it really is interesting parallel. It's not it's not exact, but um, there's a fascinating book. It's called the Galilean Jewishness of Jesus. Um, but, um, I've got it over there somewhere. Um, anyway, yeah, interesting. Well, I love that stuff because it's the details that really bring out the story that I yeah. think that we don't realize in our modern culture today, when a lot of Christians hear the scripture, they, they just kind of gloss over, but these are people that, that we have all these cultural nuances that are, as we say, when people talk about culture, it's like talking to a fish in water and you say, how's the water? And the fish is like, what water, you know, it's a cultural world. My wife and I got into a discussion about that the other day. We're talking about just the culture determines a lot what we see. And when we step out of our cultures, we are able then to see details that we couldn't otherwise see. Yep. And so you you talk about that and and you're working on this project now, or you're talking about the voice of the gospels or the voice of of Jesus in the gospels. Help me out. Describe to me what it is well, you're studying right now. Well, part part of the sort of background for this thing on the on the details of Jesus' life is what I call understanding the voices of the gospel writers, the uniquenesses of 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 each one. 
And most people, you know, you've got the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And what I don't know about you, but what I was basically taught was they're basically same outline, may, may, you know, pretty much the same content. Then you get to John, 92% unique. Oh, see, John's really different. Well, that's that's not exactly right because right, Matthew, right. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very they have different emphases. They have different vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And the way I say it, Travis, is that they're they're interested in different things, different aspects oh, yeah. about Jesus' life. Um, Mark is very interested in Jesus' emotional life. And I think Mark, uh, the pretty standard idea that Mark is being Peter's uh, disciple. Peter calls Mark my son, that, that the gospel of Mark is basically the remembrances of Peter. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, and I think that's a good idea, I wouldn't be dogmatic about it because the Bible doesn't just explicitly say that. And you should quote Bill Lane here, never be dogmatic about what the Bible's not dogmatic about. <laughs> that's a good rule. Yeah, it's a great rule. But, um, you know, so you ask yourself, why is Mark interested in the emotional life of Jesus? Well, my answer is, well, who's on the receiving end of Jesus' emotions more than Peter? If anybody understands them being mad or frustrated, you know, there's that passage in Mark where Jesus comes down from the mountain and how much longer do I have to put up with you? He says, every time I read that, I say, Jesus, you know, that really hurts my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine him looking at me and go, Mike, dude, how much longer do I have to put up with you? So, uh, but, but you can go, I mean, you know, Luke's interest in, uh, Luke is, he's a companion of Paul. What would you expect? You, what you expect is exactly what you get. You get someone who's, who's traveling all the time. That story of Jesus and Luke is Jesus traveling. He's always on the road. Nine to 19 is just Jesus walking to Jerusalem for the last time. Well, that, I think that comes from Paul. Uh, he's interested in the Gentile mission that comes from Paul, right? So he's, uh, He's interested in medical details. Well, he's a doctor. That makes sense. Uh, if he's a doctor, he's probably a slave because most doctors were slaves in the first century. Luke's very interested in marginalized people and slaves and women, mm-hmm. people, Jesus turning the world upside down. So those are the kinds of things. And then lo and behold, you get to John. I mean, you know, 92% unique. It's um, the voice of John is in the vocabulary of John is very unique. So and none of these things are, are complicated. This is not complicated. Most right. of these things I say, and people who are familiar with the Gospels, I'll go, yeah, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I get that. No, now I understand why. Yeah, you know why that. Well, I just saw this a couple of weeks ago. John is the only Gospel that tells stories of Jesus and one other person, long stories of Jesus and one other person. And once you say that, you go, yeah, Nicodemus, Joseph Arimathea, woman at the well, all these. People that have, you know, the, the, the man born blind, that's a whole chapter on mm-hmm. one guy. And only John does that. Ma- Matthew, Mark, Luke, they do not do that. So that's an interesting uniqueness of John. Very simple, but interesting. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner with them. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. 
That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. I think all those details really bring it out in a phenomenal way and it humanizes him. And I think there's a, I think, and I've been trying to figure this out. I feel like now we have gone to a place where we're focusing more on the humanization of Jesus because we're losing touch with our humanity Mm -hmm. and looking at the humanization. I think that's why the chosen has been such a hit. I do too. He does a great job of humanizing him. I don't think what I, what I think is (laughs) wrong is that uh, American Christianity is basically Pauline. Now, there's nothing wrong with Paul. That's God's word and it's perfect. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong. But most Christians I know know a lot more about Paul than they do about Jesus. That you know, radical Christ-centeredness that for me came out of the Jesus movement, came from reading books like Christ the Center by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was hung for being a Christian, right? He was mm-hmm. murdered for being a Christian. Uh, that, that's... That's just important to me. And so I think um, sort of helping people fall in love with the person of Jesus and being amazed by him or whatever, you know, different the different things that happen when you get close to him. And as opposed to, you know, I hear so many sermons on, and again, there's nothing wrong with theology, but um, we are called to follow this remarkable individual and, uh, and to know him um, even Paul says, I want to know Christ. So, you know, I, I find, as you were saying, the Pauline part, and I wonder, I think we're good more, we're, we're good with the rules, but we're not always great with knowing the, the redeemer personally. Yes. And I, I, I was thinking of another book. I don't know if you've read gentle and lowly yet by Dane Orland. You mean this book? <laughs> he's he's got three more out after that he's got one through the psalms he's got um a a small um trying to think where i've got them but i've got i've got the i've got all the newest ones but i i do think that people love that book because it does bring us back to the heartbeat and rescues us from that pauline but even in the pauline christianity i'm not even sure of how many christians now even know paul you know, when I, yeah. I think, I think they, they make Paul almost, they, they don't humanize Paul. You know, when I think of Paul, when he's, he's yeah. talking about, I've been shipwrecked, I've been whipped, I've been hungry, I've been naked. And then he's like, and then I'm getting my, I, I got daily anxiety from these really messed up churches. I'm getting yeah, yeah. reports from Corinth. They're getting drunk at communion yeah. and, you know, in Philippi, he they're fighting. A lot. Yeah. He's, <laughs> yeah. He's, <laughs> he does. He complains a lot, but. I think it's always important that we, I mean, not just humanize, but we go back to the person of Jesus because that's who it is. Yes. Yeah. So but I think you're right. Bill, I was talking about Bill earlier. Bill's specialty was life of uh, Paul. He was writing a book called uh, Paul, the task theologian when he died, a book that book, unfortunately that will never be finished. And he's, his approach was that Paul is not a, the, a systematic theologian. He's a task theologian. There's always a task 
there's a problem, there's some dilemma that the church is dealing with, and then Paul addresses that, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and if, you, if you stop trying to harmonize everything and understand this is what's happening in Corinth, this is what's happening in Thessalonica, this, you know, and Paul would do that. What's the life situation of each one of those letters? And then you do begin seeing the human side of Paul as really a pastor, Mm-hmm. I mean, he's this brilliant, you know, and, and, you know, with his background in Judaism, he is absolutely brilliant. Um, and so once again, don't, don't let, don't, don't let the people watching this think I'm anti-Paul in any way, but I just, think, <laughs> I, I just want to be radically focused the way Paul was radically focused on the person of Jesus. That's mm-hmm. what I need in my life. I can know about him. Everything I can know, I want to know. And that's another thing the chosen did. I watched the chosen. I'm watching the way they're dressed and what they're eating. Jesus eats fish every day. That's part of his life. And some people would say, well, what does that matter? Well, in the end, it really doesn't make any difference, apart from the fact that I want to know everything about him that I can know. You know? Which what is, he, what, is was he what, what was he eating? What was he drinking? Well, I, that's why. I think Dallas does such a phenomenal job. And I told him this because he he was having a hard time Um, when he came on the show. He had just got criticized. I can't remember what episode, but it was where Jesus is practicing the Sermon on the Mount. And -hmm. people got really frustrated that Jesus would practice. And again, and I had some Christians tell me, I'm not going to watch it because it's not from Holy Scripture. I'm like, he never said it was. Yeah. And his point was, is to illustrate the humanity of what people were thinking. And I yeah. think, I think sometimes we're, we're so in love with the image of what we think he was yeah. not yeah. the reality of who he is. And that's why I like you're, you're talking about bringing out the voice of God in the, in the gospels. Now going, going through that for a moment, when you, when you studied through Matthew, what was your, your, the picture that you really found the, of Christ that you missed otherwise? Well, Matthew is, uh, and, and again, if you look at his background and who he is, it all makes sense. Okay, um, mm-hmm. Matthew is a a Jew who had been, become a tax collector. What does that mean? That means he gets kicked out of the synagogue, mm-hmm. right? He's no longer part of Jewish life. No one will give him food or let him in their house or anything like that. Okay, he is he is anathema. And so, what is Matthew interested in? Matthew's interested in all these people that are getting kicked out of the synagogue. He's he's writing to a group of Christian Jews. And their life situation is they're being excluded from Judaism. And Which so, is huge. Oh, well, so. Wait, wait, huge. Would, it's the whole social would, life. It's the center well, of everything. So then what would you expect the major theme from someone who's writing? His major theme is, hey, you're not excluded. You're part of a kingdom. Mm. That's Matthew's major theme. You're you're part mm. of a kingdom. Don't and, and Jesus is the king. So when you, again, when you take the life situation of his first readers, it, it begins to, you know, it begins to make sense uh, that he's writing to people who are like him, who've been kicked out of the synagogue for, well, he got, he got kicked out of the synagogue for being a tax collector, but uh, they're being kicked out of Jewish life for following Jesus. So and, what's, what, what's the modern equivalent? What do we learn from that? I mean, we can feel the social dimensions, but today you're going to say that people are being kicked out of church for following Jesus. Well, let's well, hope I mean, not. Well, in the first place, Jews are still banned for following Jesus. In, yes, in, of course. In significant numbers. So uh, so that's still operative. I mean, for us, what does that look like? Yeah, it means being excluded for having, um, for, for not towing the line or something. I don't know. Or following uh, the culture. Yeah. and Yeah. 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 I don't know. I've never thought. I, I had to think about that. 
I'll, I'll do something different for a change and not talk. I'll think about it first. How's that? <laughs> think about it? This yeah. is a podcast, so you do need to talk. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> okay, so Mark, 434 verses. We've got the shortest of the gospel immediately. He's always moving. Gentiles starts with the baptism of John, not with the, the birth of Jesus. But yeah, but the ministry of Jesus always begins with John and all the gospels. Of course. You know, always. Because, I but, mean, how do you prepare the way for uh, Jesus? You make people aware that they're sinners and they need someone to redeem them. So, mm. yeah. But the emotional life of Jesus, you talked about that. Describe what, Describe that. Bring that out for a bit, because I don't well, think that's just, something that we think about very often. Well, if you, okay, here's, 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 a, here's a nerdy answer for you. Um, in the Gospel of John, there are two adjectives that describe Jesus' emotions. Jesus is fairly unemotional in the Gospel of John. In, uh, in uh, Mark, I think there's 16 or 17. So he, he's angry. He's, uh, he in Mark, the rich young ruler, he looks, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Mm. So there's this kind of emotional piece to it. And again, I attribute that to Peter being, being in the background. Um, uh, yeah, so the, the emotional life of Jesus. Uh, in in uh, Luke, one of the major themes, if you look at the language, is amazement. Everyone's amazed. The, I call it the gospel of amazement. He exhausts the language of amazement. There are about four, four words that can be translated to be astonished or to, to be amazed. Luke uses all of them. And he, sometimes there'll be two. If you hear a verse that says, the people were astonished and amazed, that's Luke. That's his language. That's how he talks. Okay. But what does that mean? See, that's an interesting fact, but what does that mean? Well, what it means is we know, G, uh, we know Luke wasn't an eyewitness, that he talked to eyewitnesses 30 years later after, you know, the, the event. And uh, so what that means is the people he's talking to consistently are still astonished by what they saw when they heard, heard saw and heard Jesus. I think that's a pretty cool idea. It is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Luke. So Luke. Luke is, is, is very much interested in, in, in that aspect, well, and, uh, as well as other things, but he's interested in parables more than any of them. And, um, you know, you can, you can just, you can compare and contrast the gospels. But again, it's not, they're not disagreeing with each other. They're just giving a different emphasis. image of it. Yeah. They're, they don't disagree with each other. I, I was they, fact, they're wonderfully integrated. Even I think sometimes when they don't know they're being integrated, they're wonderfully integrated. Uh, several years ago, I had a, uh, I saw that there was a chronological Bible that came out and I thought, Oh, that'd be awesome. And mm -hmm. I got a chronological Bible and I asked a friend of mine, who's a new Testament scholar. And he goes, Ugh. and I said, I said, what do you mean? Ugh? And he's like, it kills the biblical theology. Hmm, interesting. And his point was, is that because each one is emphasizing, he's just reinforcing your point. Mm -hmm. Each one is emphasizing a different portion and that when we take it out and we put them together, while it has some aspect of, of blessing for us to see that laid out, but he says, but each one has a different emphasis on what they're trying to focus on. Right. And we lose that. And I don't think we think in terms of biblical theology, we think in terms of systematic theology and yeah. Getting back to that biblical theology, which is really what you're calling people to do, but mm -hmm. you're, you're you're calling it the voice of the four gospels. 
That's the, the, the focus the, on the it. Voice, yeah, the, the the voices of the of the of the gospels. Yeah, the voices. But of the you talk about systematic theologies. That that's a very Greek. That's Greek thinking. Okay, it is. The, Not the writers of the New Testament they write in Greek, but they think in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Judaism even today, they don't do systematic theology. You talk to a rabbi, they don't talk about oh, that's soteriology or that's missiology. That's not, that's Greek. Mm-hmm. That's thinking Greek. Uh, in Judaism, uh, which is Jesus' world, you they think in stories. Rabbis will tell you stories. That's what Jesus does. He tells parables and, and, and teaches that way. And again, there's nothing wrong with thinking in Greek. We, we you know, we're English people, so we tend to think, think in, we, we want to give names to things, right? Um so that's, you know, that, that's, you know, whatever, uh, like I said before, that's soteriology, that's missiology, that's whatever. And in, uh, in Judaism, uh, they think in verbs. Hebrew is a verbal language. Hmm. So Jesus thinks in verbs, he doesn't think in nouns, which I think is another fascinating, fascinating way of, of, of looking at how his mind works. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's the kind of, that's where I've been for the last two or three years. And when do you hope to have that book released? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, it's going to be at least two, at least two years. And this is the last book I'm writing and I'm done. I'm going to spend the rest of my life talking and thinking about this, but I'm done with Byron. I've written okay. 27 books. I think so 27 you, is enough. <laughs> so you've written 27 <laughs> books. Yeah. 452 songs. Yeah. 450 songs are rough. That's 30, 35 albums. So yeah, I'm done. I'm so done. you're done. So what are you going to do? I'm going to teach uh, Bible studies here locally where I live down here, down here at Fernvale Community Church or Brentwood Baptist Church. I teach there on Wednesday nights, uh, get, get involved more with the, with the community because I've been gone a lot, you know, the last 35 years, 40 years. So out of all the ministry that you've done and places that God has taken you, if you could have done one thing differently, what would it have been? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any big regrets. Like I would have done it differently. Um, you know, in an ideal world, I would have spent more time with my family, but that's that part of the call, right? I mean, Jesus, and when Jesus outlines the call, he says, that's kind of part of it. You, you say goodbye to them, you know, you, um, I, you don't sacrifice them. Cause I think if you're a good Christian, you're still a good father and good husband, but, uh, you know, it's just been hard. It's been hard on my family. I've been gone as much. There were some years where I was gone more than I was home, mm. but um, that wasn't a long period of time. And uh, and all but one of my kids had forgive, forgiven me for that. My wife has been fine with that. She understood. Well, she so, didn't want to marry you to begin with. So that wasn't right. a big problem. Right. <laughs> uh, so what are You're your hobbies? Listener. You're a good listener, Travis. <laughs> So, I mean, you've done, you've done all this stuff. Now you're farming, you're selling flowers, not planning on making music, planning on studying and teaching this stuff. What are, I mean, your heartbeat seems to be like, it's always been, is it's been being a student of the Bible. That's something that I wish more singers and artists were of. Well, that's where the songs always came from. I got excited about an idea, you know, and, and it, and it, it sort of resonated as a song. Uh, Gloria Gaither um, for a long time, people have asked me to come to these seminars where people teach people to write songs. And I go, I can't, I can't, can't do that. How do you teach someone, you know, to write a song that makes, you know, 
And so finally, I, I, I didn't talk to her. I, we were emailing back and forth the other day. I have a lot of respect for Bill and Gloria Gaither. And uh, she said, would you like to be a part of this? And I finally said, okay, this is what I can do. I can, I can help people learn how to engage with scripture and find those nuggets that are worth writing songs about. I can do that, but I can't teach my how to write a song. I don't know how to write a song. So that looks like that. I got, I talked myself into a, a gig with the cool <laughs> which is not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, were you ever trained as a musician? Uh, no, but I grew up in Nashville and all my, I, I grew up playing everyone like in, in my water. family was a performing musician. All of my friends were musicians. Music was just my world, but no, I never, I never studied music. What brought them to Nashville from the beginning? Was it just that Nashville well, grew up around them? My, my dad, my dad was from Nashville. My dad was a doctor, but he, he played uh, trombone in a big band jazz. So he was a Tommy Dorsey, Duke Ellington guy. My mother was a violinist in college. She toured with a string quartet in Texas. Uh, so she was a, you know, a musician. My sister is a classical organist and my brother plays bluegrass music. And then I was sort of, I was the youngest. So basically I grew up in this world where all this was happening. My dad's jazz band would practice in our basement every couple of weeks. And so I grew up listening to that horrible music. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of cigarette smoke and gin, gin drinking involved, you know, in big in big band music. Not kind of the opposite of of uh, my world, but anyway. And then, but then all my friends, my 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 friends growing up were um, Earl Scruggs, you know, the banjo player, Earl Scruggs. Mm -hmm. Well, his his son Steve was one of my best friends growing up, and later on, his older son Randy got me in the music business. He's the per first person I ever made music with was Randy Scruggs. So all my friends were musicians. You just couldn't get away from it. You couldn't get mm. away from it. So it's just every part, every, it, it's what you've yep. grown up in. You can't. We didn't, we didn't role. play, you know, kickball after school. We played bluegrass or we had a fifties band called Bubba and the Stingrays. We played fifties music or whatever. We always played music. Yeah. What's your favorite music? Do you have one genre uh, that bluegrass. you really go back? Bluegrass still? Bluegrass is what, yeah, I'm, I'm most drawn to. I love bluegrass music. How about authors? Who do you love to read? That's really more my world than music. Uh, than music. I mean, I was uh, early on Bonhoeffer, um, and I actually got to be friends with Eberhard Betka, who was yeah. Bonhoeffer's confessor. Yeah. He came, in, he came to, our, uh, to Western and, and spoke for a week, and I was his driver. I got to pick him up at the airport. And he's married to Bonhoeffer's niece, Renata. So uh, that was that was huge for me. Bonhoeffer, Cost of Discipleship, and Crisis Center, those books were huge. John John Stott's, you know, Your Mind Matters, that was huge for me. That changed really changed my world. The Cost of Discipleship was the cure, and I'm I'm not being anti-Southern Baptist because the Southern Baptists are awesome. They do great work, but Cost of Discipleship was the cure for every sort of aspect of easy believism or whatever it is I grew up mm -hmm. with. Um, so Bonhoeffer was huge for me. And then later on, when I started writing, uh, I said the people I stole from the most are people like Frederick Beekner. Mm -hmm. uh, Brennan Manning was a, became a very close friend, but Brennan Manning's book uh, was huge uh, for me. Brennan was huge for me. Um, yeah. Those kind of guys. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. 
Were you, you ever a bit steal ideas from those are the people the, the people that I'm, I'm drawn to? <laughs> You're always looking for people who have done your homework for you. That's <laughs> I, I teach that in my, in my classes. You're always trying to find someone who's done your homework for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we really are just building on the the foundation that other people have laid. Every absolutely, which way we go. absolutely. So, out of all those authors, who has the most profound effect on you? Bonhoeffer. Uh, bon, yeah, it's clearly Bonhoeffer. In terms of language, Beekner. I mean, um, Beekner is dangerous because he he's, he writes so beautifully. He could say something that's not true and you'd believe it, but his language is just so beautiful. Um, mm. But yeah, Bonhoeffer is the guy who cha really changed my life, mm. that God used to change to change my life. And his whole story, uh, you know, about being martyred and uh, underground church during the war and that sort of thing. Uh, and there was a time when Bonhoeffer... I think Metaxas' book brought brought him back for a while to the sort of people's attentions, but he's a person that we should uh, we should uh, spend some time with. I know there were uh, there was another book that slandered him and said some horrible things about him that weren't true. Um, slandered who? Bonhoeffer or Metaxas? Yeah, bon Bonhoeffer. Oh, okay. Yeah, because um, I, I studied Bonhoeffer in at seminary and. I think he's just so relevant to our modern culture, especially in the church where I think we've really, we've got so caught up in all the different social issues yeah. that we've really lost the essence of the gospel in many ways. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always wondering, are we ever going to come back to this point where we are the confessing church in America? Yeah. Um, I've wondered there's enough, when there's enough pressure. Yeah. We'll come back to that because that's the only, the only way you survive. Yeah. It, yeah. And that type of radical fellowship, which is something that I think we've lost yeah. in our contemporary culture. Um, I'm, I'm getting ready. I don't know if you've read, there's a book out there called Analog Church by Jay Kim, who uh, is going to be a guest on the show. Uh -huh. but, but basically he's saying that and he, and he his book dropped, I don't know, a few days after the pandemic started. But he was it's basically just calling people back to we need real fellowship, real relationships to build yeah. with people in community that is largely lost today, even hospitality. Mm -hmm. um, we had as a guest on the show, Jason Georges, who wrote Ministering and Honor Shame Cultures in the 3D Gospel, and he's doing a PhD in hospitality at the University of Durham. And we don't know anything about hospitality in our culture today. That's what I love about what you're doing in that you're rediscovering some of these things that you've seen within scripture, hearing the voice of these individuals, what they valued, what they cared for, well, and you, you were so talking gorgeous. earlier about traveling. You learn about hospitality, about traveling. Go to China, right? We're a Christian, you know, I had a, I have a picture over here someplace. A little old lady wanted me to go home with her, you know, just you, you can come and stay at my house, you know, um, um, I, Northern Ireland, when I, I, I used to spend a lot of time in Northern Ireland and I can remember people staying in people's homes and um, young married couple we only had one bed in the house and they, they slept on the couch and I slept in their bed. And I, I was pleading with tears in my eyes, please let me sleep on the couch. And they said, here, their, their response. I love this response. Very Irish. They said, you'll rob us of the blessing hmm. if you do that. And uh, the, in Scotland one time with a staying with a family, the, the feast that they laid for us was a little baked potato and one leaf of lettuce. Cause that's all they had. You know, that's hospitality. You know, you, 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 I think you only, 
you only learn it by, you don't re learn it by reading about it so much. You learn about it when people sacrifice to, you know, you sleep in their bed and they sleep on the couch. You go, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> I mean, it's the incarnation, right? That right. basically, we, Jesus slept on the couch and we sleep in the bed. <laughs> I had, a, I had a, uh, an Indian man come to our home and we'd given him a bed and he wouldn't sleep on it himself we were trying to be hospitable and give him this he slept yeah. on the floor because that's what he was used to sleeping on yeah okay but it, but it still was so difficult like i was pleading with him then to sleep in the bed but for him it, it, he also didn't feel worthy wow and i thought you're the worthy guy here not me i mean yeah. he was coming from a place where he and his wife were taking care of 10 orphans and they would they would bar bike every kilometer actually didn't even bike they had to walk so many kilometers just to get food every day and their home had a concrete floor but it had no toilet and it had the the corrugated metal and it didn't go all the way to the floor so they would pray at night that the snor scorpions and snakes didn't get in uh. and he said and he said we would come home after the going to the market and they had to walk so many kilometers right and he'd say we had to, we had to get home before sunset. So the tigers wouldn't get us. Oh and, I, and I was like, back up. <laughs> Did you just say tigers? Like yes. it's just such a different world. <laughs> so much closer to the world of the new Testament. Yeah. Me. Right. Right. When, right. Yeah. No, I, you know, if I, I, I won't tell this on myself, but I, I do know uh, there was uh, one Christian artist who stormed out of a hotel because the towels weren't thick enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's sad. <laughs> I mean, I laugh, but that's sad. Well, that, that same artist uh, later got involved in missions and it totally changed his life. He's he totally uh, changed his life. But at one point, yeah, I know people that, you know, complain about stuff like that. So what are you, what are you teaching right now at church? You said you're teaching this stuff on Wednesday night, but what are you teaching specifically right now? Okay. Well, I just finished uh, in, at, uh, at Brentwood, Brentwood Baptist is where I've been teaching, um, on Wednesday nights, I just did a series for, they have a really cool group. They call their TNT group. They're, they're, um, what do you, what do you call them? They're, um, they're on staff. They're like being discipled there. It begins with a C. I can't think of the word, but anyway. Catechumen? Um, hmm? Is it intern, a catechumen? No. In, they're interns. Not, oh, that that's, not a, because, uh, <laughs> that's not a C? That's not a C? Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the 64, 64 year old brain. Um, anyway, so I just I just finished that class up and now I'm starting this Wednesday night with the singles class and we're going to do Luke. So we're going to just going to work through the gospel of Luke. How long does that take you? Well, I, it's just however long they give me, you know, I, I think they've given me like five weeks. So we won't go chapter by chapter. We'll just do big sections. I'll do an, you know, one session just introducing and giving them the categories. And then they basically, they got to read it, the whole gospel that, you know, the next couple of days, and then we'll spend uh, four, four more weeks, I think, looking at, you know, big, big blocks, you know, that, uh, that illustrate kind of those major themes. Mm. Mm. Okay. And when you teach these courses, do you ever find yourself pretty intimidated at some of the people that have gone before you? I mean, Brentwood Baptist is a big church. There's been a lot of names that have gone through there. Yeah. Do you find yourself going, all right, I got to get this right. I got to do this well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, every now and then when you're, 
when someone shows up in a class and they're a PhD from Vanderbilt and theology or something, that's kind of, that's pretty intimidating. But the people who would come to my class in the first place, you know, aren't in general, (laughs) they tend to be nice people, right? Main people don't tend to come to my class anyway. I asked a pastor friend of mine, uh, he pastors up in Northern Illinois and uh, he said, DA Carson walked into the service and, and I, and, and he said, I said, were you nervous? He goes, no. Because Jesus was there. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I, I, I did a um, I did a concert one time and I sat there and looked at the front row and D.A. Carson sitting there. And that was pretty that was pretty intimidating. I didn't talk much between songs. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he- I mean, here, here, here's a sidebar. Um, um, this is a, something new I've learned about the af- academic world. I showed you all these all these uh, notebooks that I have a, a pile of notebooks, and these are those are yeah. these are just all articles. The uh, D.A. Carson wrote. <laughs> well, here's, here's Jewish studies. You know, here's the language and multi multi uh, Jesus. How many languages speaks Jesus speaks? I have fifty articles on that. Anyway, but here's what I'm learning, Travis. The you know, you're, you're trying to learn and you're trying to figure things out and then you start reading enough articles and they all disagree with each other. Oh yeah. And that drives me nuts. People that are really smart, right? People that are smarter than you and me, they, they don't, they can't find a consensus on, on some of these basic things. And, uh, that that's frustrating for me, but that's how you get a PhD, right? You write a, a thesis about how everybody else is wrong about this and you figured something new out. But, um, and so it makes me, that much more grateful to people like William Lane or George Guthrie or D.A. Carson, who who see scholarship as something uh, to serve the church with. That's what they. That's how they wash feet. So, um, and there are a lot of New Testament scholars or, or biblical scholars out there like that. But um, which, yeah, I'm which, just kind of tired of people that you know are out to disagree and make make other people look foolish. Well, not just to make them look foolish, but they have that pressure that they have to publish and they have to come up with something new. Sure. That's that's what drives me nuts about academics and why I didn't go into academics. Cause I feel like you're not, are you really serving the, the people of God yeah. or are you just trying to do something different to, to get noticed? Yeah. Cause well, of the, course, of course, if the majority is wrong about some issue and they frequently are, maybe you're the guy who's takes, takes the heat to say, you know, here's, here's what the Bible really says. And, and, uh, let me t- say it in a fresh way or something like that. But I mean, and there's I, want, really- I had originally wanted to be part of that world and I can see now why God didn't let me because I wouldn't have been very good in that world. I don't, I don't know. You, much. But I mean, you've got enough writings and research to that shows you're a researcher at, at heart. Your undergraduate yeah, degrees and in- what I, I, I translate stuff across. That's, that's my job. I, I take, I, 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 um, you know, digest all of this stuff and and take what you know is i hope is true and and i translate it across i don't talk down to people i talk across to people Hmm. so i'm and i'm very glad for that i mean i did that in songs you know same same sort of thing uh i don't have very many new ideas i'm i i'm making hay with other people's ideas well isn't that the way that any pastor hopefully is well i i think it is i think it is and bill it's so funny when uh, Bill would preach, this is back in the day, and I would write, he would, I mean, whatever the theme was, the Song of Manuel, okay, the Song of Manuel I wrote, that's, that came from the sermon he preached at our wedding. 
And the mm-hmm. sermon was, if God is with you in the context of marriage, who could ever be against you? So it was this encouraging word. Well, I wrote a song about that later on. Um, and uh, the song comes out and Bill, I get this phone call from Bill and Bill's all animated. And he said, oh, I just heard your new song on the radio. He goes, Michael, what a wonderful use of scripture you have. So he had forgotten this sermon. <laughs> and I said, I said, Bill, that was a sermon you preached when Susan and I got married. And on the other end of the phone, I hear, oh, 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 he's laughing. He said, I do think it was particularly fine. <laughs> I do think it was particularly fine. <laughs> didn't, you, didn't you get married at Christmas right around there? December 14th, yep. Yeah. So the church there was already is. decorated and everything? Wow. Have you always had a beard? Bill. Wow. That's Bill. Yeah, yeah. When, from the moment I was hormonally uh, uh, capable of doing it. <laughs> Do you want to cover up this, as much of this face as you can? <laughs> There's a website out there called Bearded Gospel Men. Have you ever seen that? No. Sound like a good one. Oh, it's so nice. It's funny. It has pictures from like the 1800s of guys, and it and it just makes a joke like, it has like pictures of different Bible characters and it says, and you go without a beard way to be like Jesus. You know, it's my, it's, it's, <laughs> well, I mean, let's face it, let's face it with, with very few exceptions. And I mean, like probably less than 2%. Most men need to cover up as much of their face. <laughs> That's very, very true. Which yeah. is why I did that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I shaved off my beard one time years ago. My daughter, who's like in her, 27 or eight years old now she burst into tears and you know it was just it was like a monster walked in the room you know she did did she recognize you she knew it was me but she thought something horrible had happened you know i've been in some kind of horrible <laughs> accident or chemical you know some... <laughs> so yeah. there's a reason that god designed us this way it's true when did you lose your hair how old were you you know i I was talking with my wife about that the other day because I don't, I don't really remember. I see pictures of myself and it, and it going, uh, at, I think right around when we started having kids, it started falling out. But the odd thing is I don't ever remember it bothering me. I was never bothered. Huh. Uh, my, my father was, was bald and it never bothered him. He kind of joked about it and it was just wasn't an issue. And I don't think it ever bothered me. Well, I was looking at when I was, when I was prepping for this, I, I came across some of your earliest albums from 81, 82. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I didn't even recognize you. Yeah. Cause you yeah, have well, hair in yeah, the middle of all those. I can't find it. I've got a picture around here somewhere. I look like a hippie, uh, but you know, just one, one less thing to have to worry about. <laughs> well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I want to thank you for coming on the show. And of course people can go and hear your podcast. Tell us a bit about what you've been doing and uh, how other people can follow along with what, 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 what is your teaching and writing? Well, I think it's called in the studio. It's had two or three different names, uh, but <laughs> just go to that one of those podcast things and look, look for my name. And you'll find it. I think it's called in the studio. In fact, I've got to do, do one uh, tomorrow, I think. Anyway, uh, Joe <laughs> Carlson Moody is the person that does all that. Uh, and we have some pretty cool guests, I must say. Um, so 
um yeah i think it's called in the studio you want me to look that up i i think i yeah it is called in the studio oh, okay. it is okay. in the studio with michael card it's so funny to me that you don't even know your podcast name. <laughs> well, let me see well it's had two or three different names and we didn't do it and then it started up again but yeah in the studio I, another quick sidebar um my grandfather who is who i revere who i'll show you his picture that's yeah. him on the wall oh that's, that, that's my grandfather brown um, I've, I've, I've got a, a, a newspaper clipping and this guy was interviewing him and asked him how old he was. And he did, he didn't know he had to, he, the, the, there's this description of him taking a piece of paper and <laughs> <laughs> calculating how old he was. And, uh, I'm, I'm starting to get like that. But Einstein was like that. There was only certain things that he put in his brain. So it's, it's like being like Einstein. You're not, it's not that you're stupid and senile. It's not that. Did you, did you ever see, okay, you want to do a sidebar. Did you ever see Sherlock, the the TV show, Sherlock, the British oh, one, yeah. Yeah. where he says, that he goes, do you really not know that the sun goes around? I mean, the earth goes around the yeah. sun. He's like, what, what does what it matter? What difference would that make? Yeah. yeah it doesn't yeah, no. matter. Yeah. That, and that's in the original, uh, uh, Conan Sherlock Doyle. Holmes. I got that from the original one. Yeah. No. Oh. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Sherlock Holmes would only put stuff in his brain that he thought he could use. So uh, I, I guess I get that, but, uh, but our conversation is degenerating right now. So yeah, were, it is. It we is. Right. <laughs> we we got to get going. Ball, ball, we were talking about baldness and then Sherlock Holmes. So it's probably- <laughs> we might be editing. We might do a little bit of editing in the middle of all this, but again, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thanks. It was a delight to have you on Apollo's water. Thanks. Thanks Travis. That was a lot of fun. I, I, I've i thoroughly enjoyed his music over the years, especially the fact that they are so biblically rooted. But I must make a confession. I had no idea that he was such a deep-thinking Bible student. I, I had followed him, but only... Uh, on a cursory level, I wasn't like a devout fan. I, I mean, I would get his albums and I would listen to them and I would follow through in the music, but I didn't like follow him. I, I, I didn't know that he was such a deep Bible student. And when we started getting into the conversation and he started bringing out all of the depth of material and books and papers that he had had, I, I really was blown away at how deep of a Bible student and academic, even though he doesn't call himself an academic, he is, but he really is a scholar and a Bible teacher who cares passionately about knowing and applying the word of God to all of life. And understanding the various gospel authors' voices is tremendously important because it reveals the necessity of understanding cultures, which is what we are about. When we talk about following Christ through or, or doing biblical discipleship through the lens of culture, we have to be reminded that each one of us does have a culture. Now, you might say, well, doesn't the Bible cut through that? Yes, it does. It can speak to people no matter what their culture is. However, when you do know the culture, then you know how to speak more directly to it and more appropriately and communicate more effectively in a way that conveys who Jesus is. That's why I love what he's doing as he's walking through and trying to understand what each of the gospel writers' unique voices means. And each of those four speak to the entirety of humanity about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him in our world. And that's what we're about. 
watering your faith so that you can go water your world. And if we are to water our worlds well, then we need to know our world. And we need to know the world of Jesus in the Bible and build a bridge between them. Because when we know it well, we can speak more authoritatively, appropriately, and effectively to ours. And if this episode has helped you so that you can water your world, would you consider partnering with us? We're in our Ready to Fly giving campaign where we're looking for 80 new giving partners. And here's the incentive. For those new partners, we'll be giving you an Apollos Water Drop Logo t-shirt. Sign up and someone from our team will be in contact with you to get your information. For those who have already partnered with us, we couldn't be where we are today without you. We are on the runway because of you, but we really need your help to get into the air. And if, we're, if we are helping you so that you can water your world, then please consider partnering with us and becoming part of our watering family. We'd love to have more people grow from connecting with Apollos Watered. If you've been impacted while listening to a podcast, do me a favor. Screenshot the podcast, text it to a friend, share it on your stories, or simply share it directly from your podcast platform. Subscribing and leaving a review also puts it out there to more people. Remember, there's also content on Instagram, Facebook, and our website that is shareable. Together, let's leave a trickle of truth and encouragement around the world and watch people grow. Much thanks to the Apollos Water team of Kevin, Melissa, Donovan, Eliana, Rebecca, and Audrey. Water your faith, water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Water. Stay watered, everybody.